Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast, and thanks so much for tuning in. Celebration Church is one church in 10 locations across Southeast Louisiana. We are all about changing lives, homes, our city, and the world through Jesus Christ. We hope that you're both encouraged and challenged by today's message. Hello, I'm so glad to have you join us today. Thank you for so much for being a part of supporting what God is doing through Celebration Church. Thank you for praying for us. Thank you for serving where you're able to serve. And thank you for your financial support as well. Today, I want you to take your Bible, your Bible app, and turn with me to the book of 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. I want to remind you that there's a study guide at webcc.info that will help you to follow along with today's message. Not only a study guide, there's lots of other opportunities there for you to share prayer requests, to connect to ministries, all kinds of things. So be sure to download webcc.info. We've been in a series for several weeks titled Real Christianity in a Challenging World. We've been studying through the book of 1 John, and now we're in 1 John chapter 3, and our message today is titled Real Christians Strive to Live Righteously. Real Christians Strive to Live Righteously. I was thinking about one of my favorite stories uh, this week, a story of uh, uh, the great scientist Albert Einstein when he was traveling through the United States uh, giving, a, giving his speech on the theory of relativity. And the story, as I've heard, is that Dr. Einstein had a chauffeur that was with him all the time, and after hearing the speech a number of times, the chauffeur said to Dr. Einstein, Dr. Einstein, I've heard that story, that speech on the theory of relativity so many times, I think I can deliver it as well as you can. Uh, I'm told that Dr. Einstein himself had a sense of humor, so he said to the chauffeur, I'll tell you what, at the next university I'm supposed to speak at, they don't have a photo of me. We're about the same size. We're about the same build. So I'll put on your chauffeur's uniform. You put on my suit, and you present yourself as Dr. Einstein, and let's see if you can give that speech on the theory of relativity. Well, lo and behold, uh, the chauffeur got up as Dr. Einstein, dressed like Dr. Einstein. He gave that speech on the theory of relativity to a packed auditorium of faculty members and students. And it was almost word for word, just like Dr. Einstein had been doing. In fact, Dr. Einstein, sitting at the back in the chauffeur's uniform, chuckled to himself and thought, man, he's going to get away with it. But then at the end of the speech, one of the professors stood up and asked a very technical question and Dr. Einstein knew that his chauffeur was found out. But the chauffeur actually rose to the occasion. The chauffeur said to the professor, Sir, I'm surprised that you would ask such a simple question. In fact, that question is so simple, I'm going to ask my chauffeur in the back to come forward and answer that question for you. And that story reminds us that not everybody who talks like a scientist or looks like a scientist is really a scientist. And not everybody who talks like a Christian and sometimes acts like a Christian is really a Christian. And in our pastor scripture today, John is addressing what real Christianity is all about. He says, real Christians strive to live righteous lives. Here's what we read in 1 John chapter 3, beginning with verse 4. John writes, everyone who sins is breaking God's law, for sin is contrary to the law of God. We all know that, but then he goes on to say, and you know that Jesus came to take away our sins, and there is no sin in him. Again, we know that. But then he says in verse 6, anyone who continues to live in him will not sin. But anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it shows they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, lots of us have done that in times past. When people keep on sinning, it shows they belong to the devil who has been sinning from the beginning. Uh, but the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Those who've been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them, so they can't keep on sinning because they're children of God. 
So now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. Someone asked General Douglas MacArthur, the leader of our Pacific troops during World War II, they asked him, what's the most important lesson a soldier fighting a war needs to learn? And MacArthur replied, he must learn quickly. There is no substitute for victory. There is no substitute for victory. Now, no statement ever uttered has been more true about the Christian life than that statement. If you try to settle for anything less than victory, if you try to substitute anything for victory as you strive to live the Christian life, you won't find yourself experiencing the peace-filled, joy-filled, victorious life that God has called every follower of Jesus Christ to live. So, So let me ask you, how are you doing in your war against sin? How are you doing in your war against Satan? How are you doing in your war against yourself? If we're settling for anything less than victory over those enemies, we're not experiencing what real Christianity is all about. Now go back to 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. John says, everyone who sins is breaking God's law, for sin is contrary to the law of God. Now those verses begin, everyone who sins. Let me ask you, who is in that category? Everyone who sins. Well, the person who struggles with anger or with bitterness finds himself in that category. The person who struggles with a critical spirit or with ungodly desires, they're in that category. The person who struggles with envy or with frustration toward others, they're in that category of everyone sinning. The person who struggles with greed or with hurt or with hatred, they're in that category as well. The the person who struggles is going to get some of you with irritability. Uh, irritability, they, they're in that category as well. The person who struggles with jealousy or with lust or with lying, they're in that category as well. You see, the bad news is we, we are all sinners at times in our lives. We're all sinners by nature and by choice. And the Scripture says there is none righteous, no, not one. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The worst news is that our sin separates us from God. It keeps us from fellowship with God. It keeps us from friendship with God. It keeps us uh, from living the abundant life on earth that God wants us to live. It keeps us from, uh, it keeps us in bondage to depressing struggles and strongholds in our life. And, and if we don't deal with it and surrender our lives to Jesus, sin can keep us from heaven for all of eternity. So here's where Jesus comes in. The Bible tells us that Jesus came to our world for a number of reasons. He came to our world to show humankind how much God loves them in spite of our imperfections, our flaws, and our failures. He came to show the people of his day and the people of our day the way, the truth, and the life. He, he came to bring human beings abundant life on earth and eternal life in heaven. He came to show people how to love God and love one another regardless of how others have treated them or their ethnicity or the color of their skin. But we're also told in the verses we read earlier that Jesus came in order to free mankind from the struggles and sunkles of their sinful nature, to free mankind from a life of sin, both eternally in heaven and temporarily here on earth. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus was asked to speak in the synagogue in his own town of Nazareth. And here's what he said. He said in verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. He has sent me also to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free. There Jesus is declaring his mission. He said, one of my primary missions in life came not only to bring the gospel, the good news of salvation to mankind, but to set people free from the struggles and from the strongholds of their lives. Why, why, are we, why do we have strongholds? Because we have so much sin in our lives. Sin is missing the mark. 
Sin is failing to be who God's called us to be. Sin is disobeying God's will so we can live by our will and our way in our life. We all know what sin is, but we, we don't, what we don't understand oftentimes is how destructive sin is for our lives. Sin is destructive for our lives, and it causes us to live in bondage in our lives. Ha- have you ever been in bondage to anything or anyone? Have you ever been in bondage to an addiction? Have you ever been in bondage to some negative emotion or bad habit? Have you ever been in bondage to lust, to pride, to selfishness, to worry? Uh, we've all been in bondage to something or someone in our times of our lives. And what I'm saying is that nothing holds us captive like sin, sinful patterns, sinful habits, and our sinful nature. Now, the Bible says we're all born with a sinful nature. We're all born with a propensity towards sin in our lives. That's why you have to teach a child how to be good. They know naturally how to be bad. Uh, The sin nature is a part of every human being's life, and it's a part of our life that compels us to commit sin. The Bible says we have a sin nature, but God wants to give us a new nature. He does give us a new nature when the Spirit of God comes into our life, and He wants us to live by that new nature, which is being controlled by the Holy Spirit rather than being controlled by the sinful desires of our lives. Paul wrote about this in Galatians 5, 17. He said, the sinful nature wants us to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you're not free to carry out your good intentions. You know that battle. I know that battle. And like General MacArthur said, we can't settle for anything less than victory in that battle. Now, the opposite of living a life that is controlled by sin, is living a righteous life, a godly life, and a holy life. And that's the thing about real Christians, John says. They have a desire to live righteously in their lives. What do I mean by living righteously? I mean living by God's way rather than our way or the world's way. And in John, in today's scripture, John's telling us that living righteously and loving others is what sets us free from the bondage of Satan, the bondage of this world, and from our own sinful nature. So what does it take to live righteously in the eyes of the Lord? Three things I want you to take note of today. To begin with, to live righteously in the eyes of the Lord, sin has to be uh, discontinued or sin has to be diminished in our lives. John says in 1 John 3, 6, anyone who continues to live live in him will not sin. But anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. A better translation of that verse says, anyone who continues to live in Jesus will not be overcome, continue to be overcome by the sinful strongholds of their life. But anyone who continues to be overcome by the sinful strongholds of their lives does not actually know the Lord or they don't understand who he is. See, that verse doesn't tell us that if we're a Christian, we'll never sin. If it did, I'm in trouble, you're in trouble, we're all in trouble. It's not advocating sinless perfection, but it reminds us while we cannot eliminate the presence of sin in our lives, we can diminish the practice and the patterns of sin in our lives. You see, the conundrum for most Christians find themselves in is that we want to live righteous lives. I want to live a righteous life. You want to live a righteous life. We want to live righteous lives, but we have this sinful nature which drives us and causes us to see things from a human point of view and to respond in sinful ways. Uh, we know we want to get rid of these sinful struggles in our lives, but, but it always seems to be there. So we can do one of three things. One, we can just decide we're just going to keep on sinning. 
We're going to keep on giving in to those temptations, being overwhelmed by those trials, being led by the devil and our, and our carnal nature rather than by the Spirit. But that's wrong. Just because God will forgive us doesn't mean we keep on sinning. That discounts the consequences of our sin for our lives and the destruction and pain it causes others. Or we can decide that we will live in a constant state of guilt, always shaming ourselves for the fact that we have a sinful nature. I've met a lot of Christians like that. They're like the, the little puppy who's scolded. They're always kind of sitting in the corner, always down in the dumps because they messed up again and they're living in their guilt and their shame uh, we can go on sinning believing we can't overcome it or we can live in constant state of guilt or we can understand that although we cannot eliminate the presence of sin in our lives we can diminish its practices and patterns in our lives yes we'll still sin but but the, there will be less and less of sin in our lives the, the longer we the longer we live the christian life and the more we become like jesus in our lives that's what the apostle paul was aiming for when he wrote these words in romans 6 12 he wrote, do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to your sinful desires. In other words, we've got to learn. We've got to learn in the course of life how to overcome those sinful ambitions and attitudes and, and, and actions in our lives. Why do we need to do that? Why do we need to do that? C.S. Lewis said, sin takes you farther than you're willing to go, keeps you longer than you're willing to stay, and has a price higher than you're willing to pay. The Apostle James said something similar. He said, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow in our lives, it gives birth to death in our lives. Death is destructive, and sin is destructive and dangerous for our lives, for the circumstances of our lives, for our walk with the Lord, for the relationships of our lives, for every part of our lives. I heard about a couple one time that were trying to have children and couldn't have children, and so they went to visit their priest. And the priest said, well, I've got good news for you. I've just been called to go to Rome. I'm going to Rome for 10 years, but I want to promise you when I get to Rome, when I get to Vatican City, I'm going to light a candle for you and pray that you will be able to begin to have children. Well, 10 years passed by, and the priest returned to that hometown, and he went to visit the couple to see how they were doing. He knocked on the door. He heard a lot of sound in the house, knocked on the door, and the wife came to the door. She had two or three children in her arms, a couple of children under her skirt, and there were children scurrying all over the house. In just a moment, the priest counted nine children. That couple had nine children in 10 years. And he asked the, the wife, he asked, well, where is your husband? She said, well, he's on his way to Rome. And he asked, well, what's he, why is he going to Rome? And, and she said, to put out that candle so we won't have any more children. You know, that's what we have to do with sin in our lives. We have to exterminate his flame. We've got to get to the place where the candle is still there, but the fire has gone out. So, so we, if we know the presence of sin can't be removed, so how do we go about minimizing the practice and the pattern of sin? The, the answer is not in removing sin from our lives the more we try to focus on our sins the more uh, the more prone we are to give in to them the answer is found by filling our lives with so much of the presence and power of the lord that we don't have a desire to be involved in the sinful attitudes sinful ambitions sinful activities in our lives uh, jesus said this he said i'm the vine you're the branches those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. The more we abide in the Lord, the more we press into the Lord, the more we're connected to the Lord, the more that we pray and the more that we serve and the more that we worship and the more that we lead and, and the more that we study God's Word, all those things begin to drive sin from our lives. It's like this cylinder right here has some dirt and some rocks and some grime in our life, which represents the sin that we oftentimes have in our lives. And here in this cylinder, you find lots of fresh water. This 
this is representing the presence of the Lord in our lives. But when I pour this fresh water into this cup and you just keep pouring it and pouring it and pouring it, what you find, what you find is all of a sudden all the sin and the grime and the dirt is going out. If I had enough water, there would be no dirt. It would just be all clear water in here because the more we're connected to the Lord, the less dirt and grime and sin and struggles and strongholds we have in our lives. So to live righteously in the eyes of the Lord, sin has to be discontinued. Or di diminished in our lives. But secondly, to live righteously in the eyes of the Lord, sin has to be defeated in our lives. John says these words in 1 John 3, 8. He said, but when people keep on sinning, it shows they belong to the devil who's been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Now here at Celebration Church, we believe there is a real devil. We believe he's the adversary of God and he's the adversary of mankind. And we've also talked a lot about how to resist the attacks of the devil. We defend ourselves against the attacks of the devil by praying on the armor of God. Paul talked about that in Ephesians chapter 6. The armor of God is the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes of peace and the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation. And, and many Christians in our church pray on the armor of God on a daily basis to protect themselves against the attacks of the enemy. A lot of Christians know about the armor of God, but not a lot of Christians know about the artillery of God. You see, the Lord doesn't just want us to have a defensive posture in this battle with the devil, but he wants us to go on the offensive as well. It's not that he wants us to be offensive. Or some Christians have no trouble being that or doing that. But he wants us to aggressively drive the devil away from our lives, our family, and out of our world. So let me tell you about this artillery that God's given us to go along with the armor of God. To begin with, the Bible tells us we can defeat the devil because we have the sword of the Spirit that we can use against him. Paul wrote these words in Ephesians 6, 17. He said, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, when we think about that phrase, the Word of God, we think about the Bible. But the weaponry Paul is talking about there is not the Bible. That, that may shock you. It may shock you even further to know that the devil is not afraid of the Bible. In fact, the devil knows the Bible better than you know it and better than I know it. He's not afraid of the Bible, but he is afraid of the truth of the Bible, illumined and empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. There are actually two words in the Greek language that are translated the word of God. One is the, one is the word logos, and that's a reference to the whole Bible, to the entire word of God. This is the logos, the written word of God. But when Paul talks about the sword of the Spirit, he uses another Greek word there. He uses the word rhema, and rhema refers to that part of God's word that the Holy Spirit gives you for, in a moment, just at the right time, for just the right situation that will enable you to garner victory over the devil. If you remember when the devil came against Jesus in the wilderness and attacked Jesus in the wilderness when Jesus had been fasting, uh, the Bible says that Jesus, uh, Jesus overcame the devil's attacks by quoting certain passages of Scripture, short passages of Scripture. Now, Jesus didn't quote the devil the entire Bible. He could have, but he didn't. What did he do? He took a particular part of the Word of God that was brought to his mind by the Holy Spirit of God, and with that truth that given to him by the Holy Spirit from the Word of God, he was able to drive the devil away from his life. And what Jesus did that day, you and I can do in our day. Now, you can't fight the devil with the sword of the Spirit. You can't fight the devil with the rainbow Word of God unless you spent time learning the Logos Word of God. So you've got to get acquainted with your weapon. It's your primary offensive weapon that you have and that you need. You've got to read it. You've got to study it. You've got to memorize it. You've got to meditate on its principles. You've got to rehearse its truth. You've got to obey its commands. And, and from its pages will come the mighty truths that when, when brought to your attention by the Spirit of God will enable you to rout the enemy and become more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus who loves you. We can defeat the devil because we have 
the sword of the Spirit. We can also defeat the devil because we have the name of Jesus. There was a time in Paul's life when he and his friend Silas were being harassed by a demonized young woman. Some of you with teen girls think that's something that happens to you every day of your life. Well, Paul got frustrated, not with a girl, but with a demon inside of her. So he decided to drive the demon from her life. Paul said, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. It reminds us, that story reminds us, there is great power in the name of Jesus. That's one of the reasons I encourage people to pray in the name of Jesus. That's another reason I encourage people to sing about Jesus, to read about Jesus, to listen to music that lifts up the name of Jesus. The Bible says his name is above every other name. At the name of Jesus, every knee must bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And by the way, the more we remind the devil and his demons about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, the more he hates to be around us and the less he tries to harass us. We can also defeat the, de defeat the devil because we have the blood of Jesus. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, they triumphed over him, over Satan, by the blood of the Lamb. That verse reminds us that referencing the blood of Jesus is one of the great weapons we have to fight our adversary with. And now here's why Satan here hates hearing about Jesus. He hates hearing about Jesus' blood because it reminds him of his greatest defeat. When Jesus paid the penalty for humankind's sins, on the cross of Calvary. See, at that moment, the devil thought he had won. At that moment, he thought that Jesus was defeated. But Paul wrote in Colossians 2.15 that on the cross, Jesus actually disarmed the devil, disgraced the devil, and thoroughly defeated the devil. And the, day, the devil hates being reminded it was on the cross when Jesus shed his blood that he experienced his final and final defeat. One day, some people were visiting with Napoleon Bonaparte, the former French emperor in his prison cell after he had been defeated at the border, Battle of Waterloo. They saw on the wall of his cell a map, and on the, a map of the British Isles. And, and on that map, encircled in red, was the site where Napoleon and his troops had been defeated. He had taken a red marker and circled that, and, and, and circled that site. And Bonaparte said to his visitors, were it not for that red spot right there, I would have conquered the world. I think even today, the devil meets with his demons and points back to the cross of Jesus. He points back to Calvary. And he says, were it not for that red spot, I would have conquered the world. Thank God for the blood of Jesus and the power it gives us over the devil. And then we can defeat the devil because of the, we have the word of our testimony. It says in Revelation 12, 11, they triumphed over Satan by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Let me ask you, do you have a testimony? Do you have a testimony of God's saving grace? Do you have a testimony of God's provision in your life? Do you have a testimony of God's healing in your life, God's deliverance in your life? Whenever the devil comes against you with his lies and threats and manipulation, just remind him of what God has done in and for and through your life in the past and what he promises to do in the future, and he'll leave you alone. And then we can defeat the devil because we have, when we have a surrendered life. It says in Revelation 12, 11, they triumphed over Satan by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from God death. And for a long time, I struggled with the last part of that verse. I thought it meant for, to have victory over the devil in my life, that I must become a, a martyr. I've got to be willing to die. Now, there is something about that. Satan doesn't want to mess with a believer that's willing to give their life for the Lord, a believer who believes that to live is Christ and die is gain. But the phrase actually means more than that. It means to be completely surrendered to the Lord, to be completely sold out to the Lord. And so here's what I'm telling you. When you are sold out to the Lord, when you're committed to living a righteous life, I'm telling you, devil, he, he wants less to do with you at those times than any other times in your life. I heard about a football coach. He was sending a young football scout out to scout out some potential football players. He said to the young scout, when you 
find this one player. You'll find this one player. When he gets knocked down, he stays down. The scout asked, we don't want that kind of player, do we, coach? And the coach said, no, we don't want that kind of player. The coach said, there's a second kind of player. When he gets knocked down, he gets back up. But the second time he gets knocked down, he stays down. And the scout asked, we don't want that kind of player, do we, coach? And the coach said, no, we don't want that kind of player. And the coach said, there's a third kind of player. Every time he gets knocked down, he keeps getting back up. No matter how many times he gets knocked down, he keeps getting back up. And the scout said, that's the kind of player we want, isn't it, coach? And the coach said, no, we want the guy who keeps knocking everybody else down. And here's what I want you to know. If you learn how to use the sword of the Spirit and the name of Jesus and the blood of Jesus and the word of your testimony and surrendered life, you can knock the devil down every day of your life. You can defeat the attacks and the temptations and the trials of the devil, and you can live a righteous life. To live righteously in the eyes of the Lord. Sin has to be diminished in our lives. Satan has to be defeated in our lives. And then thirdly, salvation has to be demonstrated in our lives. John says these words in verse 10. So now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. Now next week we're going to talk about loving other believers. But here's what John's telling us. Real Christianity is always a faith that is demonstrated for others to see. You see, again, as I said in the very beginning, it's one thing to say you're a Christian and look like a Christian or even go to church, but it's another thing to live like a Christian and to love like a Christian. Salvation is something that, that must be demonstrated in our lives. So how do we demonstrate our lives, our salvation to others? John says we demonstrate our salvation with the practice of righteousness. He said in verse 7, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it shows they are righteous even as Christ is righteous. We've got to be focused in our lives on doing what is right. You see, too many Christians have a gap between their beliefs and between their actions. They believe the right things, they just don't do the right things. Now, one of the things I've discovered is that people oftentimes don't do what they know to do because they're not real proficient in it as of yet. They're not... They're not real skilled at prayer. They're not real skilled at sharing their faith. They're not real skilled at studying the Bible or teaching the Bible. But let me tell you, you can't wait for perfect conditions. You just have to start doing some things now. A guy who cuts lawns uh, for a living said if he listened to the weatherman, he'd only work half the year. You have to just get started. You can't wait for perfect conditions. G.K. Chesterton, Chesterton said, anything worth doing is worth doing badly. Now, that doesn't mean you have to do it badly. It just means that sometimes it's better to do something badly than to do nothing at all. No one can start out as a master of anything. You have to start out as a beginner, a novice, a, a, an apprentice, a journeyman. And later on, you become a master. Now, oftentimes, doing something badly is better than not doing something at all. So here's what I'll tell you. If you even if you don't know how to pray like others pray, start praying. Even if you don't know how to share your faith like others do, Start sharing your faith. Even if you don't know how to serve like others are serving, start serving. If you don't know how to study the Bible like others do, start studying the Bible. If you don't know how to forgive like others forgive, start forgiving others. You see, the more you do it, the better you'll become. Some years ago, I was at a conference with one of our pastors, and, and a speaker for the conference didn't show up. And so at the last moment, with, with no, with, with no uh, time allowed, all of a sudden they said, our speaker is not here. Pastor Dennis Watson's here. Pastor Dennis, would you get up and deliver our message today? And I did. I got up, and the Holy Spirit moved. It was a great time of worship and a great time of ministry. And later on, our young pastor asked, he said, man, how could you do that at the last moment? I said, well, I've been doing this a long time. Here's what I'm telling you. The more you do something, whatever it is in the Christian life, the better you become is practicing righteousness, practicing righteousness. And the more you practice righteousness, 
the more you live righteously in your lives. I think it was the great theologian Barry White who said, you got to practice what you preach. And sometimes we got to start practicing even when we don't have perfect conditions. We demonstrate our salvation with the practice of righteousness. We also demonstrate our salvation with the pattern of repentance. John says this in verse 8, but when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil who has been sinning since the beginning. Now that verse is challenging for us. It reminds us that real Christians replace the patterns of sin with the patterns of repentance. Now I don't know if you know this, but repentance is a spiritual discipline. It's something that you learn how to do in your life as a Christian, like you learn how to pray, or you learn how to read the Bible, or you learn how to share your faith, or you learn how to do other parts of the Christian life. And the more we do, the more we practice repentance, the, more we, the better we become at it. And repentance is something every mature Christian has developed to a great degree in their life. And we often think that repentance is for sinful people, but the truth of the matter is repentance is for righteous people or for those who want to live righteously. Some years ago, there was a head and shoulders shampoo commercial that showed someone with a bottle of head and shoulders shampoo, and somebody else said to them, I didn't know you have dandruff, and the person with head and shoulders said, I don't. Well, that's the same thing with repentance. You see, a person repenting, uh, you see a person repenting, you say, well, I didn't know your life was controlled by sin. And the repentant person says, it isn't. And that's the point. Most people who use head and shoulders regularly don't have dandruff. They just have healthy looking, uh, attractive hair. And most Christians who repent regularly don't have a life controlled by sin. They've got a healthy, attractive looking soul. So you've got to learn how to repent. That means recognizing uh, that your way is wrong and God's way is right. That means confessing that God's way is right and your way is wrong. That means turning from your way to God's way. And, and the more you repent, the more righteous you become in your life. And then thirdly, we demonstrate our salvation through, with a perspective of refinement. John said in 1 John 3, But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Now, as I mentioned earlier, we know, the devil destroyed, we know that Jesus destroyed the works of the devil on the cross of Calvary when he paid the price for humankind's sin. And we know that he further destroyed the works of the devil when he rose from the grave and conquered death. But he continues to destroy the works of the devil as he empowers you and I, Christians today, to live godly lives. He destroys the works of the devil by constantly refining us until we reflect the image and nature of Christ, Jesus Christ, to the world around us. Look what this verse says, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. It said, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Now, here's what that tells us. Give us a picture in the ancient days. Uh, they would take gold and purify the gold. They'd put it in a cauldron and get it really hot. And, uh, and then as it got hot, the, the, the things that were there that shouldn't be there, the impurities or the dross would rise to the top. And, and the, the goldsmith would take a net and skim the dross of the impurities off the top. And, and what remained was pure gold. And the Bible tells us that sometimes God allows us to go through, he said, many trials through trials and difficulties and all those kinds of things. It's not because he's forgotten about us. It's not because he doesn't love us. It's not because he cares about us, doesn't care about us. It's not because he wants us to suffer, but he lets us go through many trials so the impurities will rise to the surface so that he, the master goldsmith, can remove them so that we can then begin to live 
the righteous life that he's called us to live. In fact, we will never know what our impurities are until we find ourselves in the midst of the fire. Are you going through a fire right now? A fire of difficulty, a fire of challenge. It could be with your health. It could be with your finances. It could be in your marriage. It could be in some other relationship. It could be in dealing with the temptations of the devil. Are you going through some kind of fire right now? Listen, God knows where you are. He's allowing that fire. And in the midst of the fire, the impurities will begin to rise to the top. And God will remove them. Why? So you can live the righteous life that he's called you to live. So you can live the righteous life that is best for you to live. When we go through the trials, here's what it tells us. The Lord loves us. He wants us to be better. And he wants to enable us to live righteous lives like he's called us to live. Now, since we're learning today about overcoming sinfulness in our lives and living a life of righteousness, let me close with this verse. Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they are the ones who shall be satisfied. Sometimes we think it's our selfish ambitions and sinful ambitions and sinful activities that bring satisfaction to our lives. That's why people, even Christians, go out into the world trying to find satisfaction in the ways of the world or in the things of the ungodly. But Jesus said, hungering and thirsting after righteousness and then living a righteous life, he said, that is what brings lasting satisfaction to our lives. Have you ever woken up in the middle of the night really hungry? Has that ever happened to you? Man, it happens to me quite frequently. And I'll go downstairs looking for something to satiate my hunger, something to satisfy me in the middle of the night. I might go into the pantry or the cupboard, and I might see some crackers there, some chips, and I might take a few of those and try them. But no, that's not what I'm looking for. And then I'll open up the refrigerator. Inside the refrigerator, I might find some fruits, some vegetables. But they're good, but that's not exactly what I'm looking for. But then I'll open up the freezer, and I'll find that gelato ice cream like they make in Italy. And I open it up and dip my spoon into it and taste it. And I'm like, man, that's just exactly what I was looking for. Here's what John's saying. When you try all these things in the world, it's what Jesus and John were saying. When you try all the things in the world, they're not going to satisfy. But when you pursue the Lord and his righteousness and you start living a righteous life, then and only then, You'll find the satisfaction, the strength, the security, all that you need to live the vibrant and victorious life. Remember what General Douglas MacArthur said? He said, a successful soldier must learn quickly. There is no substitute for victory. And when you learn how to live a righteous life, you'll never have to settle. You'll never have to substitute anything for less than victory in your life ever again. Now, I want you to bow your head with me right now. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I want to ask you this question again. How are you doing in this battle with the devil? How are you doing in this battle with the, war, with the world? How are you doing in the battle with temptation? How are you doing with the battle with yourself? Oftentimes, the majority of Christians are, are, are in the process of losing those battles. But when we are losing those battles, we're missing out on the peace-filled life, the joy-filled life, the, the victorious life, the vibrant life the Lord wants us to live. But if we'll learn how to pursue righteousness, God's righteousness, the righteousness the Lord has for us, we'll find ourselves overcoming those trials. We'll find ourselves overcoming those temptations. And we'll find ourselves experiencing real satisfaction and real victory in our lives. So how do you do that? 
Well, to begin with, it starts with making Jesus Christ the Savior and Lord of your life. And then living every day, striving to live every day a surrendered life. Every day getting up and saying, Lord, Jesus, I can't, but I know that you can. Every day I get up and I pray, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Empty me of myself. Fill me with the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we learn how to do that and live like that, we'll find ourselves living righteous lives. We'll find ourselves living vibrant, victorious, and the most satisfying of lives. It begins, like I said, with making Jesus Christ the Savior and Lord of our lives. Have you done that? Have you committed your life to the Lord Jesus? If you're not sure that you have right now, with their heads bowed, would you just pray with me? And by the way, if you need to surrender to the Lord, you can pray with me as well. You say, what do I pray? Just pray something like this. Pray, dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God, and I believe you're the Savior of the world. And today, I'm asking you to come into my life to forgive me of my sins and to begin the process of transforming my life. Take away my shame and my guilt, my hurt and my pain, and fill my life with your presence, your peace, your love, your joy, with the power to change and the power to live a righteous life. I pray this with all of my heart. In the name of the Lord Jesus, I pray. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer to commit your life to the Lord Jesus or to resurrender and recommit your life to the Lord Jesus, I want you to go to webcc.info and check off, I prayed with the pastor or I want to recommit my life to the Lord. I, I want all the rest of you to go to webcc.info as well and find some decision there that you need to make or share some prayer request that you need to share with us. Take a moment to do so before you, before, before you finish because uh, doing so is important to help you move forward and take those next steps. Now we're going to Take, participate in communion together. But before we do, let me pray one more time. Lord, thank you so much that you've called us to live real Christian lives. Not pseudo-Christian lives, not fake Christian lives, real Christian lives. And that involves living righteous lives. Help us to have a desire for that. Help us to have a pursuit of that. Help us to learn how to practice that in our lives so we can be who you've called us to be, so we can live like you've called us to do, so we can do what you've called us so we can do what you've called us to do so we can make a great difference for good and for God in the world around us. We pray these things in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, make sure to rate us and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcast. Again, thanks for listening to the Celebration Church Podcast.